This podcast has been prepared exclusively for institutional, wholesale, professional clients, and qualified investors only, as defined by local laws and regulations. Please read other important information, which can be found on the link at the end of the podcast episode. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Eye on the Market podcast. This is the second of three podcasts linked to our 2024 Eye on the Market Outlook. Um, this second podcast is all about weight loss drugs and, and is entitled The Fats Dominoes. Now, I know that some of you listen to this podcast, but some of you also watch it. So we've got some visuals I'll be describing in here. If you happen to be listening to the podcast, you can see all of these visuals in the actual Eye on the Market Outlook. Um, and the cover page here shows... Uh, a, a a large obese domino playing piano, which is, of course, a reference to the famous piano player Fats Domino um, from the 1950s and 60s. And um, I thought about calling this the Fats Dominoes because I wanted to look at the impact, the domino impacts of these drugs on um, consumer behavior and the stock market as it relates to the weight loss drugs, but also the price of uh, stocks related to drugs that treat adjacent conditions and, and stocks related to uh, unhealthy foods. So let's dive in, shall we? Um, so you can see here, whether it's T.D. Cowan or Goldman or J.P. Morgan, the projections for prescriptions for these GLP drugs as a general class are skyrocketing. They're still kind of low right now, let's say, 4 million monthly prescriptions for type 2 diabetes and less than half a million, less than half a million a, a month for obesity. But um, there are a hundred different pharmaceutical agents under development right now, in addition to the ones that have already been approved. Um, the general market size in terms of sales is projected to be about 100 billion by 2030. And I thought it was interesting that recently Roche preempted an IPO by um, by a company called Carmot um, and bought them for 2.7 billion. And I think you're going to see more of the big pharma companies try to get involved in the space uh, through acquisition. So here are the big seven questions that we thought were uh, were important for investors to understand. First of all, who pays? Because that impacts the size of the market. <clears throat> How well do these drugs work for weight loss? And what are their side effects? Um, do they really re reduce comorbidity conditions as much as advertised? Um, how do they work and what are the most important trials that could increase the size of the market? Uh, can they be used to treat addiction? Uh, what about the issue of injectable versus oral uh, drugs? And then lastly, maybe most importantly, how do these how do these GLPs affect consumer behavior and therefore equity markets linked to them? So we're not going to go through the whole thing. That's what the Eye on the Market document is for, but I just wanted to highlight a few of the main points. Um, you know, the who pays thing, I started with who pays because that's really going to determine the size of the market. And uh, of the biggest bucket is, of course, private insurance. A lot of companies are going to try to provide this. Um, around 40% of all employers have, have coordinated health insurance coverage, so it would make sense for the drug companies to work with them rather than the 60% of employers that are self-insured because they'd have to go company by company. Um, a lot of companies are saying things like, well, you know, if you've already demonstrated that you've done the following other protocols, we'll provide it. We'll only provide it for a brief period of time. We'll only provide it if you are demonstrating progress, right? So because of the cost of the drug, I have a feeling that um, 
both the companies and the health insurance companies are going to try to put some roadblocks in the way. The big issue is Medicare. And because uh, Medicare is where you would presume a lot of older patients that are, are overweight and have severe comorbidity conditions would need this drug. Right now, legally, they can't. The CBO analyzed it and still believes that it would be a net cost to the federal government <clears throat> to pay for this drug. And that's, and, and they've, They've done kind of an open solicitation publicly asking for more information from the medical community to try to, you know, to try to tempt them to change their minds, like prove to us that uh, Medicare coverage of these drugs would be a net reduction in taxpayer uh, expenses. Uh, in other words, we'll, the, we will save money on all these other long-term conditions. And so um, some of the most aggressive forecasts of GLP uptake are from uh, uh, analysts who believe that these drugs are are not just going to be seen as obesity drugs, but will eventually be be branded as and consumed as and defined as cardiovascular drugs as well. Uh, we're a long way from there right now, but that's what some people are projecting over the long run. But you know, the who pays thing is a big issue due to the cost of the drug, uh, and um, and I think a lot of these questions are still undetermined. How well do these things work for weight loss? Obviously, it depends. There's been a lot of different trials. I would say, you know, the trials generally range from 5 to 15%. Um, uh, general weight loss kind of taps out at 15% ago after around 40 weeks um, and then flatlines. Um, that compares to 25 to 30% weight loss for bariatric surgery, but obviously that is a much more contemplated a complicated medical procedure to undergo that has all sorts of other complications associated with it. So, um, you know, most of the, most of the academic research I read, you know, th this is really the first wave of, of weight loss drugs that appeared to work, you know, uh, quote unquote. And so this is pretty impressive. And there's obviously a lot more of these compounds that are still being tested. Um, you know, the issue is, as you might imagine, once you stop taking them, uh, your weight, you you generally gain almost all the weight back. And any of those other comorbidity conditions that you would were also benefiting from, those would also revert back to the baseline conditions that existed before you started taking the drugs. So, um, so far, um, there may be some lingering behavioral benefits for people that get off the drug, but so far... Uh, this is not a cure, and this is the kind of thing where you are you are on these drugs forever if you choose to take them. Um, the side effects so far are pretty modest in terms of nausea and things like that, and vomiting, and some people, um, around 10 to 20% of the people in some of the trials dropped out because it was uncomfortable. There are rare instances of inflamed pancreatitis and things like that, and I would just generally caution people that some of the weird interactions of these drugs don't really get discovered until after the drug is approved and it's being used in the general population. Um, but, but again, the point is, you know, that you want, if you're taking these drugs, you're on them forever. That's potentially good news for the drug companies in terms of sales, but also bad news uh, because it means that certain people are just never going to be able to afford the kind of treatment. So do GLPs reduce comorbidity conditions or not? Um, there's a lot of work being done to study this. 
in in the in the big study that came out last year, um, they uh, they tested for like two or three years a uh, double blind randomized trial a placebo a placebo group and and then the other group was taking Wagovi uh, you know the molecular compound of semaglutide and the results were interesting because I when I read the cell side Wall Street research it was like wow a twenty percent improvement that's amazing and then when you read the academic research and you know the research from the scientific uh, drug development community they were like well you know yeah it was 20 percent but the incidence of these cardiovascular events dropped from eight to six and a half um over on a cumulative basis over the entire trial so you know a one and a half percent incidence reduction from eight percent yeah it's 20 percent but in absolute terms it's modest and it took three or four years uh, of the of the drug treatment to to develop this benefit. So, you know, there's still a lot of questions here about the comorbidity benefits. Uh, it's not clear to me that the Wagobi trial is going to be enough to convince the CBO to change its mind about the long term net cash flow benefits to the Treasury for uh, for covering these drugs. Um, they they did show much greater success in terms of early onset diabetes, reducing those kind of risks. So we'll see. But the important thing to, to note is that the first set of trials here um, did uh, specifically measuring cardiovascular outcomes did not generate a massively positive result. They were kind of okay. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of trials, <clears throat> pardon me, there's a lot of trials ongoing for all sorts of conditions, not just cardiovascular ones, sleep apnea, kidney disease, liver disease, osteoarthritis. To me, the, the interesting one is that these drugs appear to work uh, not just through your stomach by slowing gastric emptying and making you feel less hungry, but they're also doing things to your brain pathways to reduce inflammation. And if that's the case, there may be some other benefits for our Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. And so these drugs are being tested right now for those kinds of things as well. So um, the, those studies will be really interesting to watch. Any single breakthrough on any of those trials that would end up with the GLPs being, being categorized, not just as weight loss and diabetes drugs, but also to treat some of these other conditions would be, would be kind of remarkable. Um, they also show some promise, believe it or not, in reducing addiction. So th these experiments must be insane to carry out. But they do things like they take two groups of monkeys and then they give one of the groups of monkeys access to alcohol for four hours a day. Like I can't imagine, you know, the protective gear that you'd have to wear in order to be carrying out these experiments. But they give the uh, one group of monkeys access to alcohol for for four hours a day, and then the other group of monkeys, they don't. And then after about two weeks, they um, they start tr treating the one group of monkeys with a placebo and another group of monkeys with um, uh, with the with these GLP drugs. And what they find is that the monkeys that had been treated with the GLP drugs have significantly reduced inclination to consume alcohol, which is amazing because I didn't think you could, you could really convince a monkey to reduce its consumption of anything. And they carried out the same experiments and found reduced cocaine seeking in rats, uh, oxycodone seeking in rats, um, binge drinking, <laughs> binge drinking in mice, if you can imagine, 
uh, we have a chart that shows that the the more GLPs the mouse the the mice consumed, the less alcohol they consumed relative to their body weight. So again, fascinating experiments to carry out. In terms of humans, uh, there were some positive results on a study that looked at GLPs combined with nicotine patches to reduce smoking. So I thought that was interesting. Um, the whole injectable versus oral, obviously in pill form, they're easy. They're easier to take, they're easier to distribute, they're easier to store. The problem is you need more of the active ingredient and that's common to a lot of different drugs uh, in the oral version versus the injectable version. And, and the incidence of side effects and the efficacy in terms of weight loss was not quite as big. That said, the projections from the medical community is that within the next few years, eventually oral GLPs will be about a third of, of all of the GLPs out there. So the important part is what do these things do to consumer behavior, um, to patients with different medical conditions, and therefore to the equity markets? And so there was a study that J.P. Morgan Equity Research uh, did in coordination with this with this uh, consulting firm, and it was interesting. They, instead of just asking people because people have insufficient recall, they actually for some period of months um, aggregated people's supermarket checkout bills and scanned them in, you know, with all the codes and things like that. And so they had a good read on on about five hundred families about what kind of stuff they were consuming and how much of it they were consuming. And then they split the group and to see what happened to the group that where people, family members started to take GLPs. And as you can see here, you know, massive declines, 20 to 30% crackers, popcorn, meat snacks. Meat snacks is a, I think, <laughs> you know, like a synonym for Slim Jims, uh, which in all, you know, may possibly be one of the most unhealthy snacks you could possibly eat. Um, and then 10 to 15% declines in, uh, you know, cookies and soft drinks and, and uh, deli foods and things like that. So um, that was, uh, that's pretty remarkable. And so there, it was, it's not surprising that once this, these kinds of studies got out there, you saw a knee-jerk reaction last year uh, in the late fall uh, where, you know, beverages, food retail, sugar, you know, different sugar, not just sugar, but alcoholic beverages. The stocks really started to underperform the market pretty substantially, fast foods and stuff. And the GLP companies skyrocketed. And then towards the end of the year, some of the sectors that sold off started to recover. And um, in particular, insulin pumps and things like that. And so, you know, it's hard to say, I think it's possible that the market just moved too fast. And, you know, at the end of the fall, the markets were effectively pricing in an even more uh, uh, aggressive and rapid uptake of these drugs in the population than, than even some of the Wall Street forecasts. Um, and it seems like that some of that's changed. Uh, I think what's important is I, I do think that it pays to, to watch the beverage and uh, caloric fast food space closely um, but, but coincident with changes in coverage. And I think, on, on, you know, I know the market's a discounting mechanism, but unless we can see some kind of distant pathways for, for higher insurance coverage and Medicare coverage, I think some of these things are premature. And then the last thing, which I think is equally important, is there's a lot of concern that the, the stock prices of, of 
companies that have drugs and treatments for the things that are adjacent to obesity, whether that, you know, sleep apnea, osteoarthritis, things like that, that those stocks are going to get pummeled. And I think it's important to understand that the universe of people that, that have osteoarthritis, for example, or cardiovascular problems, only a small subset of those people are obese. So even if the GLP drugs are taken by all the obese people, and even if the GLP drugs are perfectly curative, like so everybody that takes them is cured, there's still a very large group of people that have cardiovascular risks, osteoarthritis, fatty liver disease, things like that, that are not obese, that the drug companies will still be treating. And so, um, you know, we, we've seen over the last three, four years, examples of when the markets, whether it's renewable energy or hydrogen or things like that, where the markets price in adoption rates that are way more rapid than what ends up turning out to happen. And um, I think there may be some examples of that here. So uh, I would, um, I think it makes more sense to have long positions in the drug manufacturers because of the market size growing. Uh, I think that makes more sense than to try to speculate on the shorts at this point because there's not enough information available about coverage. Anyway, that's uh, the end of our second of the three podcasts and we'll be back uh, next week sometime with a podcast on the top 10 list that we included. So long. Michael Semblis, Eye on the Market, offers a unique perspective on the economy, current events, markets, and investment portfolios, and is a production of J.P. Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Michael Semblis is the chairman of Market and Investment Strategy for J.P. Morgan Asset Management and is one of our most renowned and provocative speakers. For more information, please subscribe to the Eye on the Market by contacting your J.P. Morgan representative. If you'd like to hear more, please explore episodes on iTunes or on our website. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is a communication on behalf of J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments, Incorporated. Views may not be suitable for all investors and are not intended.